Okay, the one, the one, the, the dark one at the back is Jack. He's my eldest at 28. The one, the other red shirt. Do you like the Christmas T-shirts? Yeah. They wear them every year. Uh, the, the guy with the red hat on with the maroon is Matthew. He's the social worker. Dane, the one furthest with the red hat. Not furthest. Closest. Closest. <laughs> That's Dane. He's the one who's got the job tomorrow. So if you can just pray for him. And then the cute little one, my baby. Sam, he graduated last year as a geophysicist. Now, doesn't that sound impressive? It means he worked with rocks, we studied rocks, which meant uh, he went and got a job in the yeah. <laughs> So, So they're my boys. All right. How many of you, oh, by the way, Connect Church sent their greetings this morning. So, oh, hello to everyone from Connect. How many of you love DIY projects? Yeah? How many of you love to do it yourself? Well, I, and as per before, I'm, I'm a teacher, so I like some interaction, right? Um, I love doing things myself. I try around my little home to do all sorts of wonderful things, much to my son's size. So I want you all now to just shake your head and go, give me, give me a tip, Donna. What are you thinking? Come on, Donna. What are you thinking? Two of my favourite projects are my blinds in my lounge room. If you come to visit one day, you'll see my beautiful blinds. I bought some lovely looking blinds from Ikea. And I measured everything and I put them up and then I released them and they go halfway. <laughs> and of course, I make that like I meant to do that. And I just put a couch there and I just let the sun shine in. And one day I will get real blinds. And then the second thing I did, and we actually just did that this year, is that I decided I wanted to paint my screen door. We're painting the outside of the house. Don't even ask me about the rendering, okay? But we're painting the front the screen door. I took it off the hinge, and then we put it back on the door. You, how many of you know that putting a door back on is very different to taking a door off? And now my screen door doesn't quite shut. Um, I think it's to do with the little spaces that I wondered, what are these things for, Chuck? <laughs> and so it's not quite aligned. It, it opens, but it doesn't actually close. We like to do things ourselves. Last year in October, I'm sure many of you know Pastor um, John Hannafin from Tasmania. He's a, he's a long-time friend of this church and, and of Connect. And he came in October and preached for us. And he had a word of prophecy that was so powerful for our church. And it was from Revelation 3 verse 8. And it talked about God opening doors that no one can shut. And when God shuts a door, we know that no one can open it. And he gave us, as I said, a tremendous prophecy. And then at the end of that, he said to the church, is, is, does that resonate with anyone? And the whole church stood up. It was a very powerful moment. And so we uh, had had that transcribed and we read it. And as a church, we pray it. And the Lord's just put on our heart to do a series on doors. So that's what I'm talking to you about today. There are so many doors in the Bible. Each week we have studied a different door. Did you know there are that many doors in the Bible? Who is the gateway? Who is the gateway? The sheep. The gateway is the sheep. Who is our shepherd? Who is the gate? Who is the one way to God? Jesus. There are so many references about doors. And so this one today, because we're coming to Easter next week, or I thought Resurrection Sunday, Resurrection Night, um, 
I'm going to be talking about his stone door. You might know the one. But this week, I'm talking about Passover door. And today my message is called Blood on the Door. Blood on the Door. So we're going to look at the blood. What blood do you have on your door? I found some slides which show kind of like that. That's, that would have been one of my projects for my door. And here's another one, not quite my garage door, but that, that's the type of thing I'm talking about. Blood on the door. So if we look at a door, we see that there's it needs a frame. A door isn't a door that doesn't have a frame to hold it onto. So we've got the doorposts. They need to be really, really strong. We need the lintel on the top that goes across. That makes sure that there's an entranceway because if the roof collapses, collapses, there's, there's no door. And then we have the, the door, doorstep, another word for that is a threshold. And our threshold is a wonderful word as well. If you think of a door, you know, the threshold, you're entering in or you're taking a step out. It's the beginning of the, of the journey. Husbands carry their wives, don't they, into the home for the first time over the threshold. But today we're looking at those doorposts. Are the doorposts of your life strong? Are the doorposts of your heart aligned? Is it holding up the way in? the way out of your life. Doorposts feature very strongly in the Word of God for the Israelites. So, you know, the history of our faith start with the Jews and the Israelites. Now, you all know the story. I think it's on the next slide. Oh, there we go, a picture. Where God instructed his followers to show in obedience that they are in fact believers of Yahweh, of God, they had to, under the Old Covenant, place the blood of the Lamb over the door, over the doorpost. Let's just read about that. Exodus 12, if you want to turn there, I'm reading from verse 7 to 8, and then we're skipping down to 12 and 13. And then they had to take some blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they will eat the Lamb. The, the lamb have to eat the meat roasted over the fire. Is that the same night? The same night, yes. Sorry. Along with bitter herbs, bread made without yeast. And on that night, I will pass through Egypt and I will strike down every firstborn of both people and animals and I'll bring judgment on, on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign on you, for you, on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now remember, this has to be a lasting commemoration. Even today, Jews celebrate the Passover feast, a feast which has been kept for generations. And it's commemorating the deliverance of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. The night before the Israelites left Egypt, the destroyer was going to go through the land killing all the firstborn. And only the household of the blood of the Passover lamb on their doorpost was spared. And we know that story. It's a horrible story. It's a story I don't often teach <coughs> at school. It's a terrible story for the Egyptians. But it's a story of deliverance and protection and redemption for the Jews and those who have their faith in God. 
We need to remember that God gave Pharaoh plenty of opportunity to save himself and to save his nation. He gave him opportunity for the Jews to let, to, to let his people go. We don't like to think of God sending people to hell. And I don't actually believe God sends people to hell. I believe people choose to go to hell because Jesus Christ has already paid the price for every single person who has lived, who is living, and who will live to be redeemed from hell, from sin, from, from the death. But not everyone believes and not everyone obeys. And Pharaoh didn't. It's not God's will that people should perish. Let's have a look at some of these gods. You know the ten plagues? The ten plagues of Israel, the ten plagues of Egypt. I, I did a little bit of research on this and I was really surprised to see that each one of those represented a God. God, Yahweh, our God, showing himself more powerful than all the other gods of Egypt. Because in those days, the Egyptians worshipped many gods. There are many religions today who worship many gods. But Yahweh is different, or Jehovah. He's the one true God. And it was very different for a people to worship one God over many. And our God showed himself far more powerful. So look at the, the first plague. What was the first plague? Interaction, what was the first plague? Off the top of your head, some of you know. The Nile went red, blood. Happy, the, oh, I don't know if it's happy, half I can't say, I can't speak. Egyptian god of the Nile, the water bearer. There he is on the, the top left. Then we have the goddess of fertility. Her face is a frog. What was the second place? Frogs. God showed that no, he can, he's more powerful than these all these other gods. And so it goes on. God of the earth, the lice. That's, that's the beetle god down on the right. No, sorry, that was the fly one. The lice is the earth one. Look at number five, the Egyptian goddess of love and protection. Hers was, her symbol is a cow. She wears a cow with horns on her head. There she is down the bottom. Remember all the cows and all the livestock that died? So each one of these plagues was showing our God is far more powerful than that God. And he tried to warn Pharaoh, let my people go. The blood of the lamb was the only sign that allowed the Israelites to be saved. Blood on the Lord. Blood on the Lord. God told the Israelites, take a lamb, a lamb for a household, a lamb for each family. And so each household took that lamb. God took that lamb. I'm sorry. God said that it had to be without blemish. The lamb had to be without blemish. Interesting, isn't it? Why? Because each of those lambs typified Jesus, the true lamb of God, who's without sin. John the Baptist said of Jesus, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then the lamb was killed and the blood was put on the two doorposts and across the lintel of the house. 
Just think about that. The doorpost and the lintel. What does that remind you of? Doorpost and lintel. It's the cross. The sign of the cross way back then in Israel, in, in, in Egypt. Redemption was going to come from the perfect lamb, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Today the destroyer has to pass over every family that believes in the finished work of God, of Jesus at the cross. Have we put our faith in his blood? Because there's already been a death that's been paid, that of our Christ. The blood proves it. The innocent lamb for a guilty family. And it tells us that the Lord Jesus, who is our true Passover lamb, is for whole families to be saved. It was really interesting in this morning's prayer meeting and this morning when Peter shared about Zacchaeus and Jesus' words, salvation has come to this house. If you read 1 Corinthians, read 1 Corinthians 7 verse 14. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. Sorry, but that's not what I wanted. 14. That's a good verse though, but... For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Your unsaved loved ones enjoy the blessings of God. They've been sanctified. They've been set apart and marked to be saved. Now they might not uh, be saved right now in the sense that they do need to make their own personal decision for Jesus, but they have been marked for salvation. And I as a mother just find that verse so comforting. My children, because of my faith, because of what Jesus did, it's not, not my faith, my faith in Christ, your faith as a parent, your faith as a grandparent, is sanctifying your children and your unsaved loved ones. You need to take hope in that. You need to believe that as a promise from God. He is there. He's concerned for your families. God. And so we see that um, you know this unblemished lamb, that unblemished lamb, had to be. We're actually we'll talk about that a bit more in a moment. Sorry, going ahead of myself. We know that Jesus also passed up, part, celebrated the Passover and the Last Supper. He celebrated the Passover the night before he was crucified. But what he's doing is instituting the greatest Passover, the final one. It was not deliverance from Pharaoh or Egypt, but from Satan and his kingdom. It was not from the slavery of Egypt, but from the bondage of sin that we all knew. And we can live in liberty as free people in Jesus Christ because of what he did. Think of the night of that first Passover. Many of the children of Israel were probably anxious. What do you think it was like to be behind, be behind the door, the doorpost that had the blood? What could that have been like? Do you think they heard? Do you think they knew when the destroyer was out looking at the blood? How would you have been if you were one of those Israelite families behind that door? with the blood. Well, you've been sitting there thinking, I hope the blood's enough. 
Maybe we need to go out and put some more blood on. I think we need to do it again. Maybe we need to go out every hour and put more blood on. Maybe we better pray while the blood's on the door because we've got to make sure that the destroyer goes by. Is the blood enough? Maybe we better fast. We better tithe more. We better, whatever it is that we think we need to do to add to the blood of the Lamb. But the blood of the Lamb is enough. The blood of the Lamb is what the destroyer saw and passed over the family. God said, put the blood of the Lamb on the door. And that was it. He didn't say, put the blood of the Lamb and tithe and fast and go to church and pray and intercede, although all those things are good and I do all those things. But in terms of the blood of the Lamb, the salvation of victory in Christ, the blood of the Lamb is enough. So you could have been a family behind that door worrying all night, is the blood enough? And don't we just do that sometimes? We worry the whole time. We forget that the blood of Jesus is enough. And then you've got other families who, you know, do, was the blood on the door, Dad? Yep, got the blood on the door. Oh, good night, good night, good night. And they all sleep. Because the blood's on the door and the blood's enough. Some of us here today remember that. Praise God. And then you've got those weirdo ones, you know, the ones who are praising and dancing. Blood on the door. We can have a party because we're going to get delivered. It's already been done. It doesn't. We're behind the door right now, but Jesus has paid the price. Blood's on the door. Amen? Well, how are you? Are you one of those first ones that are worrying? I hope the blood's enough. There's something more I must need to do. No, the blood on the door is enough. Praise God. Can I have more blood? Don't add to God's, God's conditions. He said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you. He didn't say, when I see the blood, plus your understanding, plus your evidence, uh, uh, efforts, plus your obedience, plus your faithfulness, plus your refusal to give in fear, then I'll pass over you. You know, we like to make it about ourselves. That's just flesh. It's the blood of Jesus alone that delivers you. If you think it's because of your faith that's going to get you through this, or anything in your life, and I've, I've got to have more faith, it must be about my faith, then you're always going to be wondering, did I have enough faith? And what about those times when the prayer doesn't come out like you thought? What about those times? So when my husband, my husband left me about, um, gosh, it's been about 20 years ago. I mean, we as a family, we believed, we prayed, we did everything that we could. And he hasn't come home. Does that mean God is useless? Does that mean prayer doesn't work? Does that mean that I must have done something really, really bad that my prayers weren't answered? It doesn't mean any of those things. Because we sang this morning, it's good to be reminded, our God is good all the time. He has brought good out of it. He's, one day, when I'm in heaven, I will understand why things have turned out the way they have. But, you know, I could have come under a lot of condemnation if I thought it was about my faith. It's not about our faith. It's about God and his purposes. Once we've given him over 
uh, given our lives over to him. So it's Jesus' blood alone that saves. Every time we think that it's down to partly us and partly God, we're actually diminishing the power of the blood in your life. We're, we're, we're not relying on it. We're not, you know, we're not going to live in peace when we think it's about us and our efforts as well. But when we know, when we actually understand it's the blood alone that saves, the blood is enough, then we have an unshakable peace. In, even amongst the circumstances, even though it doesn't look like you thought it would, you have an incredible peace. You know, the flesh always tries to make it about itself. And it's not, and sometimes it can be pride, and sometimes it's condemnation. But if it's about you, if you're making up your situation about something you need to do, then you're looking at flesh rather than looking at a saviour who has already redeemed you. Flesh always wants to be noticed. Man always likes to boast about his own efforts. We see that Cain brought the produce of the land, whereas Abel brought the land to be sacrificed. One said, this is what I've produced, and one said, I need to offer a sacrifice. I can't do it myself. Abel's offering is accepted and Cain's is rejected. Who of us is without sin? God said that Abel's blood cries out to him. Blood is the voice that speaks to God. Even though Abel is dead, his blood cries out for vengeance. This is what God said to Cain. Now the blood of bulls and goats covered Israel's sins for one year. That's how it worked. But the blood of Jesus covers our sins for all eternity. So every year the Israelites have to go back with their sacrifice that could be redone. But we don't have to do that. Jesus has already paid the entire price for our freedom. Are we living in that victory? Do we have an understanding of that? Under the old covenant, a sin offering was offered, and the priest didn't examine the offerer. Who did he examine? When you brought a lamb to the priest in, under the old covenant, what did the priest examine? The lamb. Was the lamb without blemish? Was the lamb suitable to be sacrificed? He never looked at the opera. And But we do that. When we go to God, we, we go, we are not worthy. You know, we have sinned. We look at ourselves, what could we have? But when we bring an offering to God, God is not looking at us and our sin. We still think he, if we've come under the blood of the Lamb, he only sees the perfect sacrifice of Christ. He is not seeing us in our sin. It's the enemy who's pointing out your sin to you, not God. So if you've got thoughts of condemnation, if you've got thoughts of inadequacy, if you've got fear, if you've got insecurities, And that's coming from the enemy. Because the blood of the lamb is enough. The blood of the lamb fills that gap. The blood of the lamb means the destroyer has to pass over you. Peter says it. Knowing you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from our fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, 
as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He or indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. The blood of the lamb is what we've been saved with. Not our efforts, not our wealth, not all, you know, not my son's degrees. You know, they are only redeemed by the blood of the lamb, not our effort. The lamb had to be spotless and free from blemish. What happened is that the, at, at, at the priest, the offerer, the person bringing sacrifice, would place their hand on the unblemished lamb, and the sins were transferred to that lamb. And then that lamb was sacrificed. That's what's happened to us. Our sins were transferred to Jesus Christ. We are no longer sinners. At 30 years of age, Jesus was proclaimed by John the Baptist, as we know, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The blood of that land in ancient Israel was placed and sprinkled over the mercy seat. What did the mercy seat have in it? What did the Ark of the Covenant, what was under the mercy seat? There was the one, Aaron's rod, absolutely. There was some manna, the provision of God, the authority of God, and then the law of God, the Ten Commandments, which is what the Old Covenant was based on. But we see that the blood of the Lamb placed on the mercy seat covered all of that. It's covered all of those things. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. We cannot boast in our ability to keep the law, but we need to boast in the grace of God. It is His mercy, His mercy, that means that we don't get sent to hell, isn't it? It's His grace that means we are actually given more than we deserve. We are given eternal life. We are given abundant life whilst here. God's mercy God's grace. The first miracle of Moses was to turn water into blood. That leads to death. But what was Christ's first miracle? He turned water into wine. He's about life, about celebration. Jesus came to fulfill the law. I might be a bit controversial here, but I believe that Jesus showed himself to be greater than the law. He was greater than the law. And we can see that, for example, when he healed the lepers. Because according to the law, if he'd gone over to the lepers, he would become unclean. But we see that Jesus healed the lepers. He supernaturally superseded the law. He fulfilled it. The same with the woman of the issue of blood, the blind man, the blind man. Jesus didn't come under the law. He fulfilled the law. And we need to do that too. Under the law, clean would make the clean unclean. But under grace, under Jesus, clean makes the unclean 
please. Praise God. Praise God. Jesus, unstop deaf ears. You open the eyes of the blind. You heal the sick. Praise His name. Next week we're going to be talking about. Well, I'm sure you're going to be talking about resurrection Sunday. But if we look at how Pilate, I thought it was so interesting. Pilate had a note prepared and fastened to the cross, and it read, "Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews." Many of the Jews read the sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. They didn't want anyone to not know, did they? Here is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And the chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, that this man claims to be the King of the Jews. But Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Jesus Christ is our King, and everybody knows it. Praise God. We are justified by Jesus' blood. Romans 5 verse 9 says, How much more then, having now been justified by his blood, shall we be saved from wrath through him? Now you're going to hear a lot of preachers will be telling you that you, know, you better not continue to be a sinner, you better not be an adulterer, you better not be, you know, and they go through this list of sins and they bring condemnation. That, you know, if you don't do the right thing, then the wrong thing is going to happen to you. The Lord is going to punish you. But I don't actually believe that because I believe that that scripture in Romans says that we're justified by Jesus and that his blood has saved us from the wrath of God. And that's what we see in the old Passover when they, the blood, the destroyer went over. The blood of the lamb was enough. The wrath of God was withheld. The judgment and the wrath of God is not for us who are believers. The blood of the Lamb is enough. I used to, as a new Christian, I used to think that when I got to heaven, there was going to be some really big screens, bigger than these ones, that was going to flash all of my sins for everyone to see. And believe me, it was going to be a long show. And then, at the end of that rightful time of humiliation, God will say your pardon. And I would slink away, thank God I'm saved. But as I've come to know who the Father is, as I've come to understand who Jesus is and the entire price he paid, I realise that it's not going to be like that. Praise God. I'm going to rush in, I'm going to see my daddy, I'm going to give him the biggest hug of my life. And he's going to say, welcome home. That's what he's going to say to me. I'm honest, you know, I, I, just, I just believe that. Before I knew Jesus, I was working in a traditional church, and we believed in purgatory. I didn't even think I was ever going to get out of that. Like, I would, you know, you had to pray, you, got, you made it to purgatory then you would have time to say enough Hail Marys and Our Fathers and eventually you would have got enough credits to move into the next step. And I used to think then eternity would not be long enough for me to say enough prayers for all the wrong things I've done. How wonderful is it that it's not like that? How wonderful is it? Is it 
my price has been paid. Now, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But I've been given it because it's not about me and my whether I deserve it. It's about Christ and his price. Is that how you believe today? Are you sitting there today going, yep, yep, I'm a, I, the blood is enough for me. It's not about my effort. It's not about my faith. It's about what Jesus did. It's all about Jesus. It's nothing about us and all about him. How do we think differently about that? Because, it, you know, a lot of people will tell you, you have to do more. You need deliverance. You need this and you need that. I don't believe that. I believe Jesus' blood is enough. And he will deliver you. And he will redeem you. And he will restore you. And your families. How do we manifest that into our life? What's, what does Paul tell us to do? He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing and his perfect will. We need to transform our thinking. Psychologists have only just today caught up with the word of God written thousands of years ago, that our brains can change, the way we think can change. We need to be transformed by how we think. To actually understand that the wrath of God has been taken from us by the blood of the Lamb. We have to, when you start living, when you start thinking and believing and living that way, and that price is paid, then the condemnation goes. When the enemy comes to you and tells you you're not good enough and tells you you'll never change and tells you they'll never change in your relationship, whatever it is, that's condemnation, that is from the enemy. You need to just change your thinking and go, no, the blood of the Lamb is enough. The blood, of, you just need to just change your thinking. The blood of the Lamb is enough. Do you believe that here today? Do you believe the price of Christ, his sacrifice, has covered everything in your life? Every gap, every insecurity, every fear. Is the blood of the Lamb enough in your life? Yeah? Yeah? Good. Alright, that's all I've got to say. The blood of the Lamb is enough. And I hope that this week, when the enemy in his danger, he's going to tell you, you're never going to get a raise, you're never going to get out of that financial problem, you're never going to get healed, you're never going to, whatever it is he's going to come against you with. You just need to say, no, it's not about me, it's about the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb on the doorpost of my life is going to stop the enemy and the destroyer. And you live a life of freedom when you realise that. When you're thinking that way, 
There's no bullying at school. There's no, there's no situation in life that can stop you enjoying the abundance of God because he wants you to have a rich and full life. He's a good, good father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that we would understand your heart, that you would just um, dismantle some of the preconceived ideas that we've had about who you are, and instead just help us to know that you are a good, good father, that your wrath has actually been satisfied by Jesus, that the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts of our lives enough. And any area of life, any area of need, any insecurity, any fear, any disease, anything that's not of you, Lord, the blood of the Lamb covers.